We're going to finish up our discussion tonight of a pastor's heart. What kind of heart should a pastor have? And as I mentioned last week, that um, this was more convicting to me than I, than probably to you, because I am a pastor, and because God has called me to be a pastor, and uh, I would not have another job. Now, you know, I, I, I have another job, but that is a secondary job. Uh, this is my first and foremost job, because this is what God has called me to do. Um, I was uh, talking to Joel last week. We were just kind of sitting back there, just, just chatting, and he he asked me a question, you know, when did I feel that I was called to preach? And, and I, can, I, can just, I can remember, now I've got a first cousin, uh, her name is Donna, she lives in Virginia, and she, she comes down about once a year, and she'll, she'll call me, and she'll say, Dwayne, I'm in town, uh, you want to get together for lunch or something, or, or can I come by? And so, I think on the last time I saw her, we met at Panera Bread over there on Rayford Road. And we were just talking, just, uh, you know, talking about childhood memories and, and all of those things. And she said, Dwayne, she said, I always knew that you would be a preacher. I said, well, what in the world? Did, what, where did that ever come up? She said, uh, and, and I said, well, what, what, what made you think that? And she said, because you always said you want to be a preacher. And I, I, there was only one time that I can ever remember doing, saying, even hinting to that. And it's because, you know, when you're a kid, you, you play games of what you want to be when you grow up. So, I mean, if you want to be a fireman, you play like you're a fireman. So you go and get the hose pipe and you're putting out the, the fires that you, you know, imaginary fires or whatever, you know, and uh, but I can remember in my aunt's garage, I set my two, I set Donna and her brother Danny down in their garage, and I made a little pulpit and I preached a sermon. <laughs> I was probably, I'm going to guess maybe seven or eight. You know, it's not very old, but I preached a sermon. Okay, uh, and she said, "But we always knew you would be a preacher." Uh, well, but that's what God has called me to be. He has called me to be a preacher. So, as I said last week, that, uh, so when I prepared this, this is more of a reminder to me. And as I'm going to finish it up tonight, this is a reminder to me, and hopefully this will be a reminder of, to you that, uh, you know, when the Lord calls me home, uh, I'm not planning on retiring uh, number one, because I can't afford to retire. Uh, but secondly, I have no ambition to retire because what am I going to do? Wake up in the morning and determine whether I'm going to go to Target or Walmart today? Uh, you know, what, what am I going to do? Uh, so I have no ambition to retire. Uh, but, uh, but sure, the Lord called me home. This is what you need to look for in a pastor. You need to look and, and ask him. Okay? Don't ask her. Ask him. So what kind of pastor's heart do you have? What, what is your heart? And ask him, the, ask him the hard questions. Ask him, do you have this kind of heart? 
This is what we were told. This is what we were taught. Is that rain? Is it raining? Okay. So we're going to continue that discussion. So last week we looked at verses 1 through 5, and I do want to review over these things just for, for a moment. Uh, back, in ver- back in verse 2, we looked here, and it says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. So the first part of a pastor's heart is he strengthens the faith of his flock. How does he do that? Well, he establishes them in their faith. As we see there in verse 2, we see the word strengthen, which comes from the Greek word sterazo, which means to make stable or to place firmly, to make firm, to render constant, or to confirm it. And then we also see another word, and that is the word encourage, or he comforts them in their faith. The word encourage or comfort, it comes from the Greek word perikaleo, which is the same exact name of the Holy Spirit, which means to call to one side, to admonish. There are times that there has to be admonishment, maybe even a, a little bit of rebuke. From the pulpit. Okay, I told my uh, I told my students the other day I had to correct the class. They were getting a little noisy, and I had to correct them. And I said one reason why I'm correcting you is because I love every one of you. And if I didn't love you, I would just let you do whatever you want to do. I just let you just rule the roost. Now I think it sunk because the last couple of days they've obeyed. Well, I think maybe two reasons they didn't want to get written up. But I, hopefully they are beginning to realize that I do love them. And, you know, that's, that's what a pastor does. A pastor does rebuke. I can remember uh, when we were in California, Sean and I went to a, to a very large church uh, for a Sunday night. And um, the pastor just, I mean, he skint those people's hides I mean he did not stop for about 45 minutes skinning their hides and I mean this church runs uh, how many would you say about four or five thousand I guess it's the largest independent Baptist church in California and has a college that probably runs about four or five hundred I mean he just ripped them up and down one side down the other and I'm thinking man those people are going to leave and never come back. But then when he finished, this is what he said. He said, I just want you to know that I love you and thank you for allowing me to be your pastor. And when he said that, it clicked. That's why they take it. Because they know that he loves them. And the reason why he preached that hard sermon is evidently there must have been an issue that he sensed that needed to be dealt with. And he dealt with it. Now, he dealt with it very harshly, but he dealt with it. So he comforts them. And it's sometimes in the comforting he rebukes, but he also exhorts. 
And I made a very, very important key point last week, and I really want to stress this, that the heart of a pastor, it is not about building an empire. It is not about getting their name out there. If that's the goal of their ministry, then they need to simply get out of the ministry or stop pastoring and maybe go into evangelism. But that is not the heart of a pastor of building an empire. The heart of a pastor is strengthening the flock in their faith. That's the heart of a pastor. And then he must stand fast in our faith. And we saw that in verses 3 through 5. Now, why did, why did Paul put that? Why did he put that they must stand fast in their faith? Well, that's because Paul was on the run. Remember from last week, in the introduction last week, Paul was on the run. He had to flee that church because of persecution. He was being threatened. If he stayed there much longer, then they were going to execute him. Put him in prison and then possibly lead to execution. There's all kinds of, of persecution. You know, I'm reading, I'd love to read about the martyrs. I, I don't know why, but I do. And maybe it's to encourage, I, I, I read the martyrs to encourage me. To encourage me to stand fast in the faith. I, I have in my, my Bible here, I've got a picture of Martin Luther uh, as he is standing at the, the, the Diet of Worms. When he is standing, he's standing there and, and they told him to, to, uh, to recant his writings. And he said, if, if I have written anything that is contrary to God's word, then I will recant. But there is nothing there that you can prove that is against God's word. And here I stand, I can do no other. And then I've got another picture of John Roberts, who, who was the first martyr that was martyred by Bloody Mary. And his crime was continuing the translation from Latin to English after William Tyndale was burned at the stake. And I had those pictures of them in my Bible to remind me every Sunday morning. I open it up and I look at those pictures to remind me of what those men did and the price that they paid in order for us to have what we have in the English language. Their crime was simply translating the Bible into a language. And as William Tyndale said, that even a plowman can have a copy of the Bible. The believers should know that we are not exempt from persecution because we are not of this world. That believers are persecuted to strip away the world's cloak of sin. And because the world does not know Christ and because the world is deceived in how the world views God. And you know as well as I do that if a professing believer caves in to persecution. Deny Christ, Christ will deny him. And then we ended last week with the, the very last part of, verse, of verse, um, verse 5, where it says that our labor, or it says for, let's go ahead and read that, that whole verse. It says, for this reason, when I could 
could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So as we go in our labor, in our work, in our, our, and, and to be in ministry, it is work. And I've mentioned this before, but, but it offended me that when that pastor, preacher, or whatever got up and said, I knew I was called by God to preach when all of a sudden I wanted to stop working and start eating fried chicken. Now that offended me. And I understand he was trying to make a joke about it, but it fell flat. You know, there were the, the, the make-believe Snickers laughs, but it fell flat because anybody that, is, that has their, uh, their weight in salt, they know what it means to work in the ministry. And it is work. And I tell anybody that is considering going into ministry, you got to realize this, it is work, and it is a different kind of work. It is spiritual work. It is, it, yes, it is physical work, but it's more spiritual, it is more mental, it is emotional work. I'll see my friend Tim Rasmussen next week, and we're going to get together, have, have a time of fellowship together on Tuesday morning. And I was talking to him during the height of COVID, and people were just, he said in one, on one Sunday, 45 People came to him on one Sunday and said, Pastor Tim, we're, we're moving from California. We're moving. We cannot take living here any longer. We can't afford it. We can't take the politics. We are out. Finally, he got to a point where he just got up in church. He said, Dwayne, I finally got up in church. I said, he said, if you are leaving, don't tell me. Just leave. Because I can't take it anymore. It's discouraging. It's heartbreaking. When you invest your life, your prayers into people, and then they just leave, that's heartbreaking. But yet, what must we do? We must stay to the stuff, continue to work. So now let's look at the latter parts here. I'm not going to keep you much longer. I just want to go over these, these other things here. In verse 6, we see, but, <clears throat> but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. So the third point here is a pastor's heart is a heart that encourages his people to be strong in their faith. To be strong in their faith. What does the word faith mean? Or it comes from the Greek word pistis. 239 times in the New Testament, just in the New Testament, is the word faith. It also can mean the word assurance, which is one time, but all the other times it is faith. What is faith? It's a belief, and it is a belief. It is conviction of the truth of anything. When it's used in the New Testament, it is a conviction or a belief of respecting man's relationship to God and to divine things. 
generally with the idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith and joined with it. We have to remember this, that faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. Repentance is a gift. That when God calls you to salvation, He then grants you faith. Faith is not something you can work up on your own. Faith is a gift that God gives you. And He increases your faith. Okay? I mentioned this this past Sunday. I think I mentioned it the week before on Sunday morning. And, you know, the phrase of why do bad things happen to good people? Well, one reason why those bad things happen to believers is this, to increase your faith. And maybe to show you that you don't have any faith to begin with. God allows, God is not absent. God is present in every situation And he uses every situation to increase our faith. But a pastor that has the kind of heart that he must have, that is, he encourages people to grow in their faith. So the believer must be strong in their faith in Christ. These people of the church of Thessalonica, they were not bowing down to Caesar. They were not allowing persecution to dampen their faith. They were not allowing temptation to destroy their faith and destroy their testimony. And they were not allowing themselves to forsake their worship of Christ. Now, I would like for you, if you would, to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at verse 19. Okay, it says, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Okay, their faith was the kind of faith that Christ talked about where the seed was cast on stony ground. And it may have taken a little bit of a root But then when temptations came, Satan came, persecution comes, sickness comes, trials come, they forsake their faith. Guess what faith they did not have? They did not have faith in God. It wasn't a deep faith. Their faith was revealed. God used those times to reveal their lack of faith. Now, let's go to uh, chapter 6 and verse 12 of 1 Timothy. Okay, what is, now we have to remember once again, what is the setting here of First and Second Timothy? This is, we, we, could, we could really pull it down like this. This is Paul's last will and testament of where Paul knows that his execution date is soon that unless the Lord intervenes he knows that his head is going to be on the chopping block Nero is going to make sure that happened 
And so he's writing this letter to Timothy. And he says here in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Fight it. It's a good fight. You know, we think of fighting for something. There are some things that are just not worth fighting for. But there are other things it's worth fighting for. And Paul is encouraging Timothy here to fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, let's go over to Hebrews, if you would please. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, let's read verses 22 through 26. Hebrews 10, 23 through 26. Give you a minute to get there. It says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of, there's that word, faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now look at verse 25 here. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day Drawing near. So, we must be strong in our faith in Christ. Secondly, let it be, the believer must be strong in their love for Christ, for one another, and for fellow believers. Okay, let's go back to our text. Okay, once again in verse 6, we see the good news of your faith and love. If you have a King James or a new King, uh, and also a New King James, it has the word charity. The word charity and the word love are both the same Greek word, which is agape, which means an affection, a goodwill. You know, there's three kinds of love that are mentioned in the Bible. There is phileo love, which we get the word Philadelphia from. And then there is the marital, physical love. But then there is agape love. Agape love is a love that is constantly giving with never expecting anything in return. It is a love of benevolence. It is a brotherly love. It is 106 times it is mentioned in the New Testament. And every time it is mentioned... It is talking about giving love. You know, Christ said that they will know you, that you have love one for another. So we must be strong in their faith, strong in their love for Christ, for one another and their fellow believers. And then the next thing is the believer must remember their leaders with deep affection. Must remember their leaders. You know, I feel like I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but 
Who is Satan going to go after first? The leader. Always, always, always. He's going to go after the leader. Who's the first person in a home that Satan's going to go after? He's going to go after the husband, the father. That's who he's going to go after. Okay, you know, you know, I was watching Eddie Griffith a while ago, getting my daily Barney in. Okay, it was where he said nip it, nip it in the bud. Every, every, every book on child discipline talks about bud nipping. Well, you know, those shows back then, you know, Father Knows Best. Okay, Leave it to Beaver. Okay, who did Beaver and Wally go to for advice? Dad. But here recently, in the last 15, 20 years, you've got shows that are attacking Dad. Making dad out to be a bumbling idiot. You know, married with children with Al Bundy being just a man that can't keep a job. Just a bumbling idiot. And that's the way it's portrayed now. So how do children, they watch these shows, how are they going to view their father? A bumbling idiot. So we got to make sure that we're praying for our leaders. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Don't have to go there. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much there already. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So you love one another. And then lastly, number 4. Let's go back to our text. We'll read verses 7 through 10, and then I'll give you the last point. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live. Wow. <laughs> when I saw that the other day, I was like, wow. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God in your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So the last point is this. A pastor's heart stirs the heart of their fellow believers. Stirs their heart. We see in verse 7 that he stirs the heart of their fellow leaders. We see the word comfort there in verse 7. It says we were comforted. That goes once again to that same Greek word of parakaleo, the paraclete, the comforter, to call to one side, to call for a summon. And then in verse 8, they stir the heart to renew their life in purpose. I try to do that on Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday night, to stir you, to renew your life, to, to renew. Maybe, maybe you're, you're having a, a, a down week. Maybe you've just been struggling in, in that week. Maybe things have just not gone the way that you had planned. Okay, you've had a long week. You've had a long day. You've, 
you, 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 you struggled in your walk with the Lord that week. You have not read your Bible like you should, or you've not been praying like you should. You've not been as faithful with the Lord like you should. Well, that is why we come to church on Sunday mornings, folks. That's why we were come back on Sunday nights to three of the four weeks of the month. That's why we come back on Wednesday nights. Look, the, hot, the, the church is not a place to show off our religious phylacteries like they did back in the New Testament times. It is a time for us as fellow believers to come and gather together and to encourage one another, to pray for one another. We could say it's basically, a, a, sometimes it could be an urgent care center. They were hurting, and we need to get together and encourage one another. And then in verse 9, they stirred their heart in joy for one another joy and then lastly they stir their heart in prayer for one another look at he says paul says night and day for we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face so i hope these things encourage you like it did me so i could be the pastor that i need to be for you all right let's pray together maybe our Father God, we, we thank you for these truths that we have seen in your word. And Father, help us, Lord, help me to have the kind of heart that is, uh, is talked about here in this text that we've talked about the last two weeks. And Father, I also pray that you would help us all, Lord, to have that kind of heart for one another, of love and charity, encouraging one another. And I pray, Father, that you would Encourage us through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Now dismiss us with that blessing. As we go out through the rest of this week, as we go into this upcoming Sunday, I pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to abide by your word, to be obedient, and to be faithful, and to, uh, to bear fruit so that people may see Christ being lived out in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I need to see our two deacons. I need to see Rob, and I need to see Pastor Ken. Very briefly, we'll just meet right over here.